0: Chapter Twenty Two of The Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill. Recording by Josh Middledorf. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Two How They Went Home. And at the end of woe, suddenly our eyes shall be opened, and in clearness of light our sight shall be full. Julian of Norwich. Revelations of Divine Love. It did not surprise either Helen, the doctor, or the landlady, that Constance's illness should follow so close upon the convalescence of the child. She had not spared herself. Her devotion had even verged upon foolishness, including, as it did, an indulgence of the patient's caprices, an attention to her mere happiness, which no student of modern therapeutics could approve. During these last permitted days of her physical existence, she was ceaselessly obsessed by the desolating consciousness of awakened spirit that she could never under any circumstances love enough in the life to which she went as she conceived of it love would be effortless a joy it would spring and she with it to its source in the life which she must leave it had been a high and splendid duty difficult full of enticements for the courageous soul but she had neglected that transcendent opportunity, been blind to its romance, and her act of reparation did nothing to assuage her remorse. Hence she devoted herself feverishly, whilst she could, to the satisfaction of Vera's smallest fancies, waiting on her, playing with her, never absent from her room. For this she relinquished, as she knew, her final chances of communion with the adorable world from which she went. It meant something to an impassioned lover of beauty to forgo her last opportunity of seeing the spare trees in their dress of hoar-frost, the misty glory of the river when the light begins to fade, the miracle of Oxford Street at the moment in which its lamps flash splendid in the dusk. These familiar and exquisite sights, always friendly to her weary eyes, were going. Her very eyes were going, all her senses, time and dimension, shape and color, sound and space. There were moments when she could not bear it, when she cried out in agony against her fate. To die in furnished lodgings is not pleasant, even to the amateur of death. Her regrets were made the more tormenting by the fact that she here suffered in their extremest form all those squalors and discomforts which are incident to our departure from the dust the watcher in the midst of his own eagerness to be gone was very sorry for his friend he anticipated for her no happy future her spiritual blindness as he saw it would be as great a drawback to the enjoyment of eternity as his own supersensual prejudices had been to the comprehension of time she would exist as he knew In the real forever and ever what could she do there this creature who had not even been able to contrive her own comfort in the dream to know this for him was still the great matter he perceived in constance a deep ignorance of the conditions on which she must be cast he would yet have offered her a place for repentance had she desired it for now he was almost soft-hearted where this one woman was concerned But she was intent on his departure and even in the darkest hours she did not flinch she struggled to expel him from her spirit longing to be herself to be at peace to regain the sole possession of her senses before she laid them finally away he too fought with her against the clinging fetters of the flesh eager for home anxious to be gone from a lodging where he did not any longer feel at ease the battle tore at her body racked it with a fever which no medicines could still she lay hour after hour alone in the dreary room she gazed vacantly at the faded pictures counted the drab daisies upon the slate-coloured wall time was marked only by the perfunctory visits of the landlady who looked in to bring useless and unpalatable nourishment and see whether there was anything required. Once every day, Vera came to her, and this was the moment towards which she lived. When Constance sickened, Mrs. Reed had removed the child to her own lodging, delighted to have again the whole custody of a living thing that she could tend. She had said to Miss Tyrell during the first days of her illness, You must not worry about Vera whilst you are laid up. She is quite safe with me, and I am so pleased to be able to take care of her. I don't know when I have enjoyed anything so much. It makes such a difference, beginning the day by dressing her and ending it with putting her to bed. Having her little clothes to mend and her feeding to consider, you cannot think what that all means when one has been living alone with nothing to arrange for but oneself. Would you like it always? Always, answered Helen, sometimes i feel that i must keep her must have something to serve i cannot bear to think about the moment when i shall have to let you have her back again perhaps that moment will not come helen looked at her nervously oh no no she said you are quite mistaken you're very weak just now and it makes you depressed but the doctor said today that he is sure there are no complications as soon as your temperature drops, you will have nothing to do but get well. And if I don't? Then, oh, then, I hope she would be mine, said Mrs. Reed. Fear and excitement strove together in her voice. And, of course, it won't happen. It is absurd to think of it. But it, if it ever did, I should do my best for her, my very best, and I wouldn't steal her from you. I should always remember that she was really yours. She should never be allowed to forget you. I promise that. It was a promise which carried little conviction. Helen spoiled the little girl who already began to turn to her, pleased by her new and undisciplined life and resenting with her customary violence the quietness and restraint which were imposed during her morning visits to Constance's room. Vera had the animal's instinctive hatred of the sick, and could hardly be persuaded to submit to her mother's feeble embrace that mother therefore saw herself in the act of withdrawing from a world which did not seem to need her any more she was going very quickly helped thereto by the watcher who wished that her earthly pain at least might end she had cast him from her mind he no longer governed her vision but he could not leave her because he loved mrs reed had looked in at lunchtime and found her sleeping she thought the omen a good one and crept quietly away for the day was fine and she wished to take vera for a little walk she arranged the bedside table placing milk and medicine within reach and warned the landlady that miss tyrell was best left undisturbed unless she rang her bell when constance awoke the afternoon was waning and her room was grey and dim being filled with a wintry twilight which made this place of departure seem one already with the colourless dimension of the dead she looked about her rather puzzled the place seemed strange it was so very large and shadowy and she so small smaller than her body she thought in some subtle way she was changed yet she could not capture, analyze her new condition. Things were becoming queer, very queer indeed. She did not put it any more definitely than that. She was not frightened, but she was annoyed to discover that her mind was too weak to grasp the strange experience to which, plainly, she had come, the last of her adventures, perhaps. Opposite to her bed was the little cupboard in which she had locked the shrine of the cup she wished that she could reach it unlock the door and look within somehow she fancied that might explain things give her something to rest upon something that would not display the confusing qualities which now invested all visible objects of thought she stared at the cupboard very hard presently she found herself going towards it quite easily then as if she were looking through some glassy substance and in the very act of looking penetrated that on which she gazed, she found herself in the presence of the grail. She had forgotten everything else, was not strong enough to attend to her body any longer. The teasing question of life and death, of the conditions of the transit, passed away. She did not think of asking herself on which side of that veil she existed, because the veil had disappeared. She and the chalice faced one another, but not the cup of cloudy glass which she had known. It had taken on the splendors of reality, and she smiled, for she looked perfection in the face. It shone close to her, yet unseizable. It shone through the whole world, a lens which focused and poured out upon the piteous fear of effort, the benediction of the uncreated light, humble yet omnipotent, desirous, and elusive. She wondered whence she had obtained those words. They came back to her now, suddenly comprehended. They were all that remained within her mind. Her eyes were opened on eternity. Easily, naturally, since they were shut forever on the illusions of the earth, she perceived reality at her door. Ever near her? patient and unsleeping awaiting the recognition of its child she saw it but not alone even in the act of departure she must it seemed carry out the redemptive duties of her race as dante gazing into the eyes of beatrice there saw reflected the light of divine so the watcher gazing into the soul of his friend at this crucial moment of transcendent victory and earthly loss, was permitted to see the transfigured spirit, the inmost inhabitant, where it sat like a Mater Dolorosa, holding upon its knees the slain self by whose death it was redeemed. It seemed to him now a very holy thing, and full of wonder. He did not know that its sacrifice was commonplace enough. There was no one to tell him that, judged by the stupendous standards of humanity any other action had been a sin that constance's passion took no heroic rank amongst the sublime adventures of the dust in the human aspect of her death in its determined quixotry its profound and unrewarded love he recognized astonished the key to all the mazes of the dream out of this agony There was reflected for him a ray of that divine personality which he the ignorant and impersonal investigator of things had little suspected to be the energizing light in which alone it was possible to see god in that light eternity was remade for him the awful boredom of the infinite its incomprehensibility had passed away he no longer noticed that he did not understand for the desire to know was gone he looked again detached from the dream on the busy tangle of organic things on a world founded on illusions supported by the considerations of matter growth and sex but now he saw no paradox no confusion only as it were a furnace whence now and then the will drew forth a perfect spirit made for its own delight he heard now the voice of that love in which all subsists crying through eternity with a sad voice and urgent to its many errant sons and the most faithful of all answers to this appeal did not come from the infinity which is its home but was dragged and distilled from the turmoil of life from the midst of that sacrificial torment which he had so bitterly and ignorantly regretted for her whom he had learnt to call his friend there in the healing of division he saw perfect union attained he who had now all knowledge saw himself outstripped by those who had a very little love and saw also in the satisfaction of his own lust of curiosity an end which Even the meanest human soul had hardly held consistently through life. But he had loved her a little. He had followed her faithfully. He had done for her his mistaken best. Now he abased himself before her, before the spirit of a tired and broken outcast whom even earth had held to be impure. Her poor and weary body had fallen asleep, and from between the lips of it her soul came out as gladly as a little bird from its cage it was the soul which he had watched and loved as it struggled to burn in the difficult air of the earth but had hindered because he never understood now it shone very brightly without flickering having sloughed off the tedious apparatus of the flesh it shot up a penetrating flame of love straight to that heart of being which all creation eternally desires. And he, who had torn so violently from out its prison the white soul of her whose life he dared to judge, took with it his last lesson and his release. He was initiated into heaven and stood there beside her, humbled, glorified, redeemed by that humanity into whose august secrets he had tried to look. The dream was over, It faded before the splendors of the real. He rose from his sleep, wide-eyed to see the sacred spirit of man brought forth from a column of dust. End of chapter 22 End of The Column of Dust by Evelyn Underhill